Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to God's Best Kids podcast. I am Harrison, joined yeah. by my good friend. I'm off, Leon. Nice to be back. Glad to be back. Glad to get the invite back. Yeah, yeah you wouldn't. I, I, I almost didn't let you come back. Especially yeah. after the spider thing, but yeah. That was the problem. I like that. How have you been? What have you done? I've been good. I've been busy. I've been I've been attacking the day. That's what I've been doing, man. I've been attacking the day and I've been doing me. What have you been doing? Mostly just work. Like no like, like plodding along, getting paid. Yeah. It's extra extra freezing right now as well oh yeah and i have to work outside my hands are cracked to pieces like a man but you don't want these soft these soft hands you need i've got your hands need to be a bit rough and ready i have soft hands at the front All, all of the damage seems to go on at the back and whenever i cut myself with one of the knives i always get cut on the back of my hands not the front we have a lot to talk about today. And we usually start off Vamos. with a World Cup roundup. But I think today the more important talking point happened at the World Cup, but isn't necessarily to do with the World Cup. It's, I'm sure, I know you have actually, because that's what you liked it, uh, a tweet about it, but the speed incident. Right. Yeah. 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 So for those of you that don't know, there are actually two videos from the World Cup of speed being what has definitely been accused of being racist. We'll talk about where we both stand on that in a minute. But um, the first video was he was like interviewing an Indian guy and he was told this guy was Indian. And um, he then sings what has been called the Vic Star song because it's the song that like the sidemen used to use to introduce Vic Star, like that very well known like, song that is. But singing this to an Indian man isn't necessarily the second you find out he's Indian isn't exactly something that you probably should do. Um, and this was a lot less harmful than the next incident, um, where he was in the stadium I don't know of which match but a man walked past him wearing an Argentina shirt and he shouted konnichiwa at him multiple times whilst being told he is Chinese so obviously he doesn't say konnichiwa because that's a Japanese greeting and then when he says don't say konnichiwa um, he then says something that he sounds starts. well he says something that sounds like choing coing doing which to me is just flat up racist. Like, not gonna beat around the bush about it. That's straight. Because his apology was them. It was a nickname that they call me in China. Um, the nickname that he gets called in China that he then repeated in the apology video is two syllables. What he said to this man, first of all, is three syllables. 
So that whole piece of logic is completely flawed. Um, and the way he said it sounded like he was trying to just show off or make a joke kind of thing, like a 12-year-old kid in school would do when they don't know anything about the world. Where do you stand on it? I think speed, that is kind of speed's audience, though. So 12-year-old kids that have... I know. Um, yeah, I I don't I don't remember I don't really remember seeing the Indian one. I can't lie. I definitely saw the Argentina kit fan when I hadn't seen the kit one, the Chinese man. Um, and yeah, obviously yeah, he is racist. That 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 is racist. Um, I mean I don't know. I feel like he's he's had something like this before, or like. I don't know, similar before where he's always, he's pushed that kind of boundary where you should, you should, you know what's right and what's wrong and you just shouldn't say that. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, and I just, he's 18, I think. I just, I think a bit of, not blame, but a bit of responsibility has to be like who, who's got around him kind of, because he's obviously, He's still, he's still a kid, kind of thing. Like he acts like a fool. I don't think he's particularly, you know. He's seventeen. Um, and he's seventeen. Yeah, and the previous men, like you just uh, alluded to, a previous thing, he got kicked off of Sky Sports because they found an old streaming video from when he was sixteen. Um, Calling, so he was playing a game with a team of people. One of the people on his team was a woman or a girl or whatever. And I don't know what she, she was just like, I think he might have lost, like messed up something for the team or something. And she called him out for it. And he said, and he like repeatedly called her a bitch and then said, is a female trying to talk to me? There's no, I know that like, a woman's not trying to talk to me. Shut up, bitch, go do the dishes. All three of these things to me, don't necessarily make him like racist or sexist. They are racist or sexist things. But I think he's just being a bit naive in terms of he's doing what appeals to his young audience. And yeah, I think he's playing up to the crowd and playing up to hype. The problem is well, they're very impressionable. Like if you see someone who's older than you and a big yeah. doing these things, then it makes it more likely that these kids are gonna like continue to do things and do maybe even worse things. And um I'd say I think it's okay to do outside. Yeah. And he's he's probably he's probably quite a smart bloke, probably quite switched on. He wouldn't have got the following he does in like collaborated with the Sidemen and Sky Sports and all of that, if he didn't have, like, good enough understanding and knowledge of what to do, he just needs to stop having what people are calling mistakes before they're no longer able to be put down to mistakes. Because I'm sure, well, I hope he's not this kind of person and it's just reflective of, his audience and playing up to a character that they would 
that they're interested in, basically. I think, yeah, naivety and you'd hope he'll he he'll learn from from this. I mean, only time will tell, really. But the fact those two incidents came so close to each other suggests that perhaps he's not learning or like it hasn't quite clicked, like registered with him yet, that there is a line you have to respect and there is certain standards you have to hold yourself to. And you can't say certain things to certain people. You can't treat people a certain way, even though it may get you the clicks and the views and the validation from this younger audience. Do you know what I mean? So you'd hope he'd learn from that and improve because I I mean I've seen some funny stuff in him. I think he's a funny guy. And and to achieve what he's achieved at such a young age is obviously very commendable. Yeah. But he runs a risk of kind of destroying the empire that he's kind of created for for what you said, mistakes. Um so yeah, that's what I'd say on it. I've got questions with regards to speed. Yep. So obviously he's peaked very early, 17, 18. He's had this long, this quick, this quick, it wasn't even steady, just a quick rise to, to stardom. Yeah. What, how do you reckon he goes about this? Like when he's 20, 23, 24, even 20, like a lot can change in even just two, three years for him. How do you navigate that kind of success, do you reckon? Because to hit the numbers he's done, like, that is unprecedented. At the age he is as well. He's obviously an entertainer. He's obviously very funny, and he appeals to a certain group. But that certain group at a certain age. So when people grow up, I think he's kind of got to grow up with them. And how does that... How I wonder how he, it'll be interesting to see how he navigates that because we've seen people like the Sidemen with their longevity do it also. Do you well, know what I mean? This is this is where I was going to go with that. Is um, all right, you you said unprecedented. I would say the only people that have precedented it specifically would be KSI, and I think Speed has almost modelled his growth in a way if he's that smart after KSI because when we were kids we were like eleven to fourteen. KSI started becoming a big thing, gaining lots of follow, like subscribers, like his FIFA funnies, like series, his like all of his stuff. But like, he was doing rape face. He was doing like appalling things to women in public. He was saying the N word publicly a lot and influencing a lot of kids to say the N word publicly a lot. Mm. These are the kind of things that. Like if you look if you look at parallels, speed is basically what KSI was ten years ago. Yeah, but KSI has a very individual case. Like there are millions of people that start off like that, not millions because not millions, but like you know, yeah. there's a lot of people that start off like yeah. that in the YouTube world, and KSI is one of a few that's made it out of it to like make it a successful lifestyle and business, and so. Speed just needs to basically do what he's doing, but minimize, as we've both called them, like mistakes that aren't really mistakes. Like, but that's what people are boiling them down to at the moment. Um, yeah. 
he just needs to minimize those and try and differentiate his style every one or two years because if he sticks with the style he's got now he's going to become stuck with the 11 to 14 year old demographic like his viewers are going to grow up and he's not whereas ksi has grown with his audience like yeah still watch ksi and we watched ksi 10 years ago yeah but yeah. we don't we don't watch ali a because ali a is not growing up no, oh, I forgot about Alio, to be honest. But no, I think you're right. Um, I think I, I saw like Speed chats to KSI regularly, so it's obviously something he's thinking about too. Because I'm sure he doesn't want to stagnate, he wants to make this as successful as he can. Um, but I think he needs to show a certain he needs to obviously be careful about the character and show a certain level of tolerance as well and understanding but that I, i'm giving him a leeway because that comes with age kind of thing you're not the brightest when you're 17 but yeah. you, it's that kind of crunch time you need to you need to know you need to know um you've probably not got much fuel in the tank left for many more problems to come up yeah because i already see people well it's already quite a big thing that i saw I saw two hundred k likes on on a video of him doing it. So this is it's reached a wide audience. Do you know what I mean? Um, and yeah, maybe he may look back with a few regrets, but if he makes it a success, I'm sure, I'm sure he'll be calm. Talking of a man who went to the World Cup to watch Ronaldo play to a load of people that were in the World Cup. How do you just feel like the World Cup's going? I kind of forgot about the World Cup, I can't lie. Um, yeah, the last two days of no football. Last like, two days, really? yeah. Last two days, I've actually um, focused on my studies, um, which isn't obviously a bad thing. Um, but today, the World Cup comes back, and Croatia versus Brazil be a difficult matchup for Brazil and also Netherlands versus Argentina, which will be a great game, a tasty game, to be fair. Morocco, wow, just wow. Spain, I find this with they are so frustrating. Like, you can bot the ball about, but you can't score. Like, there's no one there that's clinical. There's no one there that you look to and be like, finish this chance. Morata, He's been a top-level striker. When I say top-level, I mean he's been at the top club, so you should be a top-level striker. But he, he's not clinical. He can't finish as well as like other strikers, like Benzema, for example. Spain do what Spain typically do, technically brilliant, passing the ball, I saw like a thousand times or something. Uh, since being in Costa Rica, they averaged 1,500 passes per goal. Wow. So that's obviously impressive, but it's I'm g- obviously in hindsight, I'm going to say it's unsurprising, but it kind of is because Spain can't score goals. Apart, Obviously, the Costa Rica game was a bit of a blip, but if you look at them in the other games, they have struggled a bit. No one there is clinical, um, but kudos to Morocco, man. Like the spirit and the heart showing, like Ziyech... I'm seeing him play in the 115th minute or something. And he's he's putting it, he's busting a gut. Like he's he's putting it all in for his country. Keeper was obviously immense. 
Um, I only got to watch like um, extra time and penalties, but like from what I saw, that is it. Tap. Who's that midfielder number four? The Bulls guy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's been putting in heroic performances also. But I, I'm just gonna have a word on penalties quickly. Japan, Japan, you man, I'm Spain. Just stop the silly run-ups. It needs to stop, man. It needs to stop. And also, what needs to stop was managers bringing on players specifically for penalties. That that needs to stop. Like we saw it in England, Euros. No, 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 no. It's so criminal. You're asking, you're asking to lose. You're asking to lose. It will put so much pressure on the players. And Enrique saying before, like, um, oh, something like every player's practice penalties at least a thousand times before we kicked a thousand penalties before we come to the World Cup. But you can never replicate taking a penalty in the World Cup or even in a real life match situation where the stakes are high, crowd, people, the emotions, you know, like. You can't, I don't. It's impossible to replicate. So, I think Morocco inspired first African countries gets the quarterfinals um, since Ghana, I, I believe. Um, if they win tonight, uh, tomorrow, first African country gets the semi final. That's brilliant. So, kudos to them, man. I love. I love that. I love. I love the unity within within them as well. Praying together. Stuff like that. I think that's beautiful and it's a real celebration of culture, man. I love that. I love that. And obviously, you're sad to see Japan go as well the, the day before that. Um, Brazil turn on, turn, on the, turn on the style. I don't think, I think Croatia will struggle today, to be honest. Um, they are leggy. They are a, a very leggy team. And another one that don't score a lot of goals. Morocco don't score a lot of goals either, but they always find a way. But Croatia, I feel like age, age factor yeah. certainly come into it. I mean, I don't really have much else to add to that. Um, I just like I would say Brazil are begrudgingly becoming my favorites. Like I've not been wanting to accept it because <laughs> I, I I love I do love the vibes of the team though. Like mm -hmm. there's just something they're the only ones that see. They like they're a lot of people's champions elect anyway, but yeah, they just seem like they've got it. Like I've not seen any other team look like they've got it. Like every other team, if anyone else wins that's left, it's out of grinding a victory and like pure commitment to the bit and maybe Brazil fucking up. But yeah. Brazil were the ones that you look at and you think they're just they're just not even stressed about it, like in any way. You are you pro dancing, pro yeah, dancer? Absolutely, absolutely. The vibes are brilliant, man. I love, I love it. I love it, man. There's no World Cup without Brazil, in my opinion. Like they are the team. They are the World you Cup. The World Cup. You think Brazil, man? I think straight back to 2014 Brazil. Like that's the most memorable World Cup I've had in my living lifetime. I'd say personally. Um, yeah, man. They are banging in goals for fun. Neymar's back, like wow, yeah. What, what an yeah, issue! Everything just clicks. Argentina, obviously, Messi. When you've got Messi on your team, you've always got um, a chance to win. But Argentina, bastards, man! Like 
they they've got the fight, the resilience, the grit within them. Um, but but in a world where Messi doesn't deliver on the day, who are you going to look to in that Argentina team? Like I saw Martinez need three chances without bagging. Elite striker, come on, you've got to you've got to be finishing your chances, man. Alvarez, a young kid, man, a lot of pressure. A lot. Maybe we've seen kids live up to this pressure and take it on, but come on, you can't be putting your hopes and dreams on. Yes, on. I mean, you can on Messi, but listen, if Messi, Messi's not there, like long day, it is a long day for Argentina. But defensively, they look pretty. They look pretty sound, you know. Midfield, they got fighters and defensive fighters. So their bosses, they'll do anything to win, as you said in the preview. Like they'll always find a way. Like they'll put their bodies on the line for Messi and for their country. Um but Brazil could have that as well. In a different way. But yeah. yeah. Um I in a more aesthetically I, pleasing way. <laughs> I've got to give a shout out though to Casey Evans, who's a Man United fan, who has like a sub stack that I'm subscribed to. It's big um, on Twitter, isn't it? Yeah, he's re- he's really he's he made he has some really good opinions. Um, he wrote a piece about how Spain may dominate possession, but that's not dominating games. Um, yeah, this well. is going to be their downfall because they don't score goals; they just keep the ball. And then that's just how that, that's what happened. Both with like their final game. Oh yeah, it was before the Japan game. So Japan scrape a win against them. Makes sense with that exact problem, and then they go out and replicate it against Morocco. Um, but I do have one question for you. Um, if so, you're an African man living in England, and I've lived in England for most yeah. like 90% of your life. Yeah, um, who would you represent? Who would I represent? Yeah. Give me some context. Where am I playing? Who am I playing for? Where- okay, Nigeria and England. England. They both said, right, we're going to the World Cup. You've been performing out of your skin recently. Mate, it depends on the competition in front of me, man. Because if I, if I, for example, Hudson Adoy came through, run up to the World Cup, apparently it was, I don't, I don't know this, but... I saw he was performing okay and he was in with a shout perhaps but if you look at the people in front of you man like people that are favoured Saka Grealish Foden and some of them don't even start and even Sancho's ahead of you and he's played terribly yeah exactly but you've got to go back to the motherland man but I don't want to you wouldn't want to be like Oh, just go back just because you didn't get you need to obviously you need to be proud and you know you'd you want you want to play for them because listen the African countries are vibes man they are vibes and you kind of you get a different kind of love I've seen a lot of players say this they get a different kind of love when they play for an Africa for their home for their motherland um because it's not like the Europe it's like it's like what Benson must have I think it's um I'm French when we win. No, it was Ozil. It's I'm German when we win. I'm an immigrant when we lose. That kind of thing. So there, they show you love regardless. Whatever happens, like, the, are you 
Ayu's not been tore down in Ghana, man. He's been celebrated. Like, they did what they did in the World Cup. Not to you, guy. That's like, that's like as good as winning the World Cup, if anything, for them sometimes, if you look at it. Um, but there is a lot of corruption in African football, man. Um, I know for Cameroon, you have to pay to get um, selected and pay to play in the World Cup. So that's a regressive method as well. So a lot of players aren't going to choose that because what the fuck should we, what the fuck should a player pay to represent a country, man, when the facilities aren't coming as good as, you know, some European, like St. George's Park, for example. Well, on the topic of paying to play or getting paid to play, for example, I want to have a quick, not a quick word, this is going to be quite in-depth. This is like my main topic, really. But rugby being so far behind football and professionalism, rightfully so, because the games became professional 100 years apart from each other. But rugby having a better sense of looking after their players. So we've we've not got long left on this call, but... I'll set the scene. Um, so I don't know how much you know about the professionalism of football, but the old Etonians, like Eton, basically, um, were the last people, the last amateur team to win the FA Cup in 1882. Uh, there's this decent, that's what I'll call it, um, dramatisation of it on Netflix called The English Game and it follows a team called Darwin FC who were a northern team as a lot of teams were um, like it, they were factories mill like mill workers miners yeah. and that company had their own football team and the owners of these teams would start paying certain workers more money to come and work for them which would also mean they were now eligible to play in the football team so if these people were good at football, they might end up making more money at their job for completely unwork-related reasons. But um, so this is how basically Eton started to lose the grip of the game. But the FA, they there were like three or four people at the head of the FA, and they all played for Eton. So they usually made rules that suited them. Mm. And so professionalism wasn't allowed, for example. It, it's for, for these posh toffs at the top. It's about playing, like it's about a hobby. Like it's something to do at the weekend, a, a little bit of fun for, with the lads. Mm. And then, as I say, paying a players came. A lot of these teams from up north got a lot more skilled. And the villages around these teams are a lot of poor people. They don't have much like, they can't just go out and play football on the weekend, but they use the football that their mill team or their steelworks team or whatever plays as their entertainment for that weekend. So when things started to get a bit tough with these owners paying all this money to like these players to improve their team, um, they started to look to sub uh, for subsidies from the villagers. So the villagers would now pay for the team's travel and for the teams to like. And so this yeah. is basically how professional football started. Yeah, and they, pay, they pay for the logistics. Yeah. yeah. And okay. 
it got to the point where even for the toffs, it was impossible to accept that. No, it was impossible not to accept this. Like it got to the point where the conditions are so bad and these people are like, this is the only way for them to make money. And so many people are pinning their hopes on this and blah, 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 that they accepted professionalism after quite a lot of campaigning, a lot of dodgy dealings as well. But it basically shaped what football is today. Mm. Um, rugby had the same problem about a century later. Like, uh, so the RFU has been known to be a lot of, which is the rugby, rugby like the English rugby body governmental body um has been known to be a lot of especially at this time old white men who are interested in keeping who were interested in keeping amateur rugby amateur um as it lined their pockets basically like this is rugby union specifically um okay and there's a there's another documentary i'm pretty sure on netflix i've watched about it and it's quite decent also neither of neither of these series are amazing but they get the point across that like you understand um mm. but so even in 1993 for example people would be at their nine to five job drive to the stadium from their nine to five job put their kit on play a game of rugby at the top level could even be an england player and then take their kit off, go have a pint and go back to work the next day with whatever like new injuries they picked up from the night before. Mm. Um, but you can turn to the Northerners that started all of this again because Rugby League was actually started in 1895 by 21 clubs in Northern England who formed their own brand of rugby which is different to Rugby Union um, and that was the birth of rugby league. Like they, they all started to pay their players, and they just formed this league called rugby league. And that's where, and it was the same time really as the football started to go professional. And then it took a hundred years from that point, exactly a hundred years, for mm. rugby union to go become professional, even though there was heavy flirting with it constantly. But I will enlighten you more on that on the other side of this non-existent ad break. So we will see <laughs> in the other one. Welcome back to God's Best Kids. This is part two of our recording. But for you, it's not really any different, I suppose. Um, so, yeah, after so there were plenty of teams flirting with the idea of paying players, which... By that, I mean just straight up paying players to play rugby for them because they were better. Um, specifically, the big three in the Southern Hemisphere, which is Australia, New Zealand and South Africa, and also France, um, which is these days reflected. Like, if you want to make money as a rugby player you go to, and you want to be in Europe, you go to France. Other than that, you go to the Southern Hemisphere because these teams started professionally before our teams. Um, okay. So, for example... But is this specifically in Union or League as well? Yeah, this is Union. Okay. Specifically Union. Um, like, for example, 
an English Premiership player, average salary is one hundred thirty thousand pounds a year. Wow, which not gonna like that's a lot of money. Yeah, but you compare relative it to, to relative though. That's a weekly wage in football. Yeah, relative to the um, collisions you're getting into, the risk. Yeah, yeah that's oh, wow. That is. And for a very short career, like that's well, yeah, you're right. That's not like it's a lot of money, but it's not actually generational wealth. Like that's it's it's mm. not it's gonna set you up for a nice life, but it's not gonna like sort your your kids out for their whole lives. Like it might get them through their their childhood and going to good schools, but it's not gonna get them like they yeah. have to still get themselves somewhere. Um, but the point of all of this is so that the rules were lifted in 1995 after all of the pressure to um, make professionalism like legal basically so it was from 1995 so that's how we've got to the game we are today which is constantly growing and that's why there's games and Tottenham Hotspur Stadium all the time that's why it's like on Amazon all the time like you can yeah. It's, it's more accessible than it has been for a long time, but it used to be more accessible than this to an extent through ITV. Um, but yeah. where I come to, like the divide makes less sense when you look at how in rugby rules are being made tighter all the time, specifically to like, minimize head impacts and like you get a severe punishment. Yellow card is pretty much the minimum of a dangerous piece of play. And that's assuming there's enough mitigation. For example, yeah. a high tackle, but the player's dropped down just before you've hit his head. That might see you downgraded from a red card to a yellow card just because it's a little bit of mitigation which works in your favour. But Yeah. Can I ask a question? <laughs> yes quickly um so you know how in football one-on-one -on -one, like no not yeah. even one -on -one. yeah one-on-one -on -one, but you're through on goal if a defender takes you out straight red card apart yeah. from if it's in the penalty box where it's double jeopardy and it's just a yellow card and a penalty right so in rugby my housemate my housemate was telling me Austin was telling me about this um apparently if you're through in and you get taken out or like it's a bad tackle you just get given the try yeah wow I didn't know that that I was like what and and it's now a straight seven points because they seven didn't... point you get given seven points yeah you get given a converted try because they used to do this wow. thing where you would get given a penalty try and it was five points and then you take the kick the conversion like from right in front of the posts oh, yeah. another one misses that kick so yeah, the kit like the conversion was basically pointless. So they changed. So it's now it's just straight seven points. Um, one of the autumn nation series. And then is it a red card? That that's well, depending on the mitigation, but that situation most likely would be yeah, if someone had resorted to foul play to stop a try when it's one on one. Yeah. So for as part as long as I can remember, I mean it was I support Harlequins. There was a massive um. A scandal about blood subs with Harlequins. 
Everyone supports Harlequins, I swear down. Uh, look, most people I know support Saracens. Oh, really? But basically... All the London people here support Harlequins. Good. <laughs> basically, with a blood sub, if a player is bleeding excessively, they get taken off for 15 minutes. The medical staff get to do whatever they need to and then the play continues. And that's been that was part that's been part of the game as long as I remember. They're a lot less frequent now because people just don't seem to bleed that much. But what is quite common now is players being taken off for 10 to 20 minutes to do an HIA once they because so in rugby there's now a doctor who just or doctors even that sit and watch the game. They're completely impartial like they're not associated with either of the teams playing and they watch on a screen i'm pretty sure but they watch everything if they see any impact or any signs of someone who might have had a hit to the head they'll approach them they'll they'll give them a little on-field test like make sure they're okay and if they specifically if they think they need it but sometimes they'll just do it anyway but then they'll take them off the test the pitch for an hia and Alan Shearer has been very vocal about this in football. Mm. It doesn't exist. Like in, in a rugby, whoever that player is gets replaced for as long as they're off the pitch, whether it's for 10 minutes or the rest of the game. Um, in football, this doesn't exist. Like footballer doesn't want to come off the pitch because they know if they do, they're not coming on. Whereas in rugby, you can go off the pitch knowing you're fine, come back. I mean, it's not as... It's not great, but 10 minutes off the pitch is better than like, getting taken off out of concern. Yeah. Um, we saw it with the Iranian keeper. Yeah, against England. First match. And he was not all right at all. And he told the doctors, no, I'm fine. So they left him alone. And then within like two minutes of continuing playing, he asked to be subbed off. And then if you contrast that with Sia Khaleesi, in the last match of the Autumn Nations, this man is the first ever black captain of South Africa, just mm. won the World Cup three years ago, is like a really strong character. Like, you don't really want to tell Sia Khaleesi what to do. This doctor was like, like it, he had, so Khaleesi took a nasty knock to the head and he was like, not completely with it. And you could tell he really looks a bit dazed, but not overly so. Like the Iranian keeper, I would argue, looked worse than him. Yeah. But the doctor was like trying to get him to come off the pitch to do an HIA. And Sia wasn't having any of it. I was like, no, I'm not. And he was like standing on the edge of the field in protest, like looking for someone almost to support him. Like, can you believe they're asking me to do this? And the doctor just persisted and persisted until Sia finally did it. And he came off for an HIA. Um, like, Sia almost looked angry because he just wants to play. He wants to like, do the best for his nation that he can. Yeah. And there, there are, this is an example, this is just one example. There are times in rugby where players don't come off because they tell the doctor they're fine or whatever. Like, it can happen in both. But <laughs> the fact that that it's just something that I think is needed in football. Like with the yeah. studies done on like head injuries 
in sport and like the devastating impact it can have on people's lives. Like Doddy Weir, rest in peace. Like he died last week, just before the Alternations match. Is he got? I think he was fifty-two when he died. He had most new oh. And same for Rob Burrows. He's a rugby league player, but he has motor neuron disease. Kevin um, Sinfield's always doing work to raise money for Rob. And like, there are so many stories like that of like rugby players and football players losing memory, speech, mm. neural ability because of the impacts and collisions they've had with their head and not getting the help they need. Certainly, um, oh, can't remember the guy that's always on BT Sport, um, oh, Celtic striker. Anyway, his his dad had um, his dad was a professional football as well, and I, I remember I saw a documentary of him, like how he he lost a, a bit of mental capacity because of heading the ball back because obviously way back before our generation back in the day the balls weren't as the balls were a lot harder and a lot firmer yeah. than they are today and they're like proper and like leather balls and they soaked up um for example if it was rain they'll soak up the weight from rain as well so um i think it'll be interesting to see like as obviously we get older, but like you know, like Rio Ferdinand's like generation, yeah. or even generation before, to see how like these new balls like that have Nike and Adidas have created to not have as heavy impact on the brain, to see how that kind of develops and whether we see a few trends in a few players, um, I don't know, losing um, a bit of mental capacity. I remember, I think it was Paul Merson said. So like, yeah, I sometimes forget things. And then it's just like, come on, man. You play, I don't know how many years of football, like at least 10 or yeah, at least 10 years of football, constantly heading the ball, you know. And then there was all this talk about um, banning heading the ball yeah. for, for kids under 12 or something. Mm. That could be, that. I think that's still being discussed. I'm not sure if when that will be put in place, if it will be put in place. But it is a serious thing in sport um, that um, needs a lot of consideration as well. Because, yeah, the money's, I'm sure the money's nice. Well, maybe not even in rugby's case, but certainly in football, the money's nice and you can make a bit of a career out of it. But you can't put monetary value on your life and, you know, seeing stuff and seeing, like, Family-related stuff, do you know what I'm saying? To me, it's kind of just astonishing that, like, this is a sport that's been professional for 27 years. Yeah. And there's a sport that's been professional for, like, 130 or 40 years. And the one that's 100 years younger looks after its players or tries to look after his players in terms of helping them as much as they can. Yeah. More. Like, you've had a hundred years of professionalism to start doing something about this. And 
you were only starting to do it now, even though that rugby's been doing it for ages. It's just shocking. I don't yeah. like, football needs like, is as well oiled a machine as it is. There are things about it that do need to be brought to in to look after its people. Yeah. Um, it was Chris Sutton. Ah, uh, yeah. Celtic yeah. striker. His dad um had, I think it was motor neural disease actually. Um, but I also so just a quick point. Um, I also do think it's it's obviously a holistic issue, and I think play players need to take a bit of responsibility in both sports as well to look after yourself. Kind of thing. like if a doctor's standing on the site, you got to trust it's in your best interest to go off and get checked out. Um, yeah. drop the ego kind of thing and be like do you know what I'm going to look after myself and look after my future here because every look okay everyone's okay kind of thing but you just don't want to be that one person or that's you don't want to be a statistic kind of thing that's like ah, oh, you don't want to live with regret saying if I just came off for I don't know this period of time even for, if it's a game I know there's jeopardy, a lot is jeopardised on these games and I know pride, stuff like that, the family might come to watch kind of thing. But you've got to, I think, yes, authorities, uh, hierarchy in football needs to do more, but players take responsibility. Put this, like, responsibility for your own well-being. You get the finest care. Come on, man, Jamie. Also, it doesn't help your team. Um, I yeah. was like, I don't know how old I was. I was a young teenage, I think. And it was like, it was a, a tournament and I had concussion. Like I got a concussion in the first half. Like coach asked me at half time if I was fine. I was like, yeah, fine. Second half, I was swimming. Like... <laughs> I had no clue what I was doing. I didn't know where to stand, what was going on. I was like, not really sure if I was in line with where I wanted to be in line with or anything. And like, someone got injured or someone scored a try. I think someone scored a try because of me. I think, because I think I was playing fullback in that game. So I was last man. And I just... (laughs) basically like wandered over to this guy who was making a sprint for it and obviously I was wandering over I got nowhere near him because I was just out of it and the coach comes up to me he's like Harry what the fuck are you doing I I just I don't feel good and it's like why didn't you I asked you I was like yeah but I just wanted to play like this is like an important game he's like yeah but we're now losing (laughs) I'm like yeah I'm sorry yeah yeah, you've got to think of the team, man. You're not a... Uh, for players, I'm just saying, you're not an... Indi- like, I've I've had a similar thing as, as well. Um, but it's definitely a masculinity thing, wanting to be a tough guy and wanting to be like, yeah, I'm okay, like, trust me. And you also thing. don't want to but, do... You don't want... Like, you want to do the best. You want yeah, to of course, of course. You can, like, it's natural, it's natural. Team. Yeah. I remember I got I got a blow to the head and I was playing midfield and I could honestly like my vision was impaired like I could only see I could see like double like two two yeah two of the one do you know what I mean like so there was one person but I could see two of them so I didn't actually know which one to go to 
I just kept doing these weird runs. And then I came off, I was like, oh, I can see two. I was like, no, nah, but no, nah, no, nah, I'm fine, I'm fine. Carried on playing. Yeah, can't lie. I had to cut five minutes later because I'm just not helping my team. I'm just a bit of a liability and I'm playing in midfield as well. Yeah. So centre of the pitch kind of thing where most of the action goes through. But yeah, you got you got to learn and take responsibility and kind of drop the ego kind of thing. But hopefully, hopefully stuff is worked on to help these players because it's it's really sad seeing videos of like the older generation mm. not being able to remember like so many great memories they might have had. Well, on to another sad topic in rugby, depending on who you are. Um, have you? Well, I don't know what like, I'm sure you have seen because I I send you the list if, even if you haven't seen it. But I'm sure you know Eddie Jones has been sacked by the RFU. He is no longer England coach. Yeah, I thought I thought I don't know much about rugby, but I thought I thought he was the guy. I thought he was good. He was the he was he with before New Zealand aside. He he was at Japan and like he's 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 what like Japan are having a rugby revolution at the moment, and he kind of, he's he's what kick started that. That yeah. he, he, I don't, I don't really know too much about his career to be honest. But oh, I just remember him being at someone big, and I, I feel maybe I'm wrong. But I, anyway, I thought he was good. I thought he was the guy. Oh no, he's would, a good coach. He's would, and we'll get into a little bit. Like so, I have not seen a single person that hasn't said this is terrible timing. Like my granddad is a rugby fan, but he yeah. doesn't know anything about like who's playing what positions he doesn't know when people are play- like yeah he doesn't he loves rugby he has he doesn't know much about it but he loves it even he was like well the world cup's in nine months why have they sacked him now like, yeah well exactly uh, if you're so we were absolutely shit in the um 2021 six nations oh right the only team that were worse than us, like we were worse than every other team other than Italy in every category. And Italy have since then, and that's that's when it started, but since then, I've like had a proper, like they've improved a lot. They've got a really good production of a lot of quality young players. I would say Ange Capoluzzo is like, I mean, he was in the, um, I think he was the breakout player of the year this year in the awards show. Um, like, but we 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 were fucked by every team in every metric. Um, if you were going to sack him, it was then. That was like nineteen months ago. And whoever comes in has enough time to deal with setting up for the World Cup. Whereas now, there's Richard Cockerell is the interim. I don't know anything about him to be honest. I I'm. I'm a bit of a rugby casual in some aspects, so um, I, I can't tell you anything about him. And there have been a couple of linked coaches, and I don't know if they would come in before the World Cup or not. But mm. whoever comes in before the World Cup, if you're an interim manager, like an interim coach, interim usually means you're not good enough for the permanent role. Yeah. And even if he is, no matter who comes in before or after the World Cup, Nine months when 
the Autumn Nations is now finished, so the England team aren't going to be together for one until the Six Nations, which is like three months away now. So not or two months now. So not long, but that's like the chance they'll have together. The only chance they'll have together before the World Cup. Damn. So someone, someone, whether it's Richard Cockerell or whoever else, has five games to make this England team play their rugby and work out how to win a World Cup. Is that the expectation for England to win the World Cup? Well, we reached the final last year. Not last year, last World Cup. Against South Africa. Yeah, yeah. like 2019, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And oh, yeah, I remember what was that. Like, if you want... Like, Is it one of those things, like the Euros, where that was like our best... Like, that was our chance to come out and win it? Or was this like... Will come again, kind of thing. How, how, what's your take on it? Um, I think rugby is always really difficult. Like, you look at Farrell's good, but he's he's getting to the twilight years. Um, but we've got a lot of young talent now. Like, the the squad then was quite young, mm. and so. Like it's it's just a bit it's a bit like England football now. Like there's there's a good mix of new and old, and it's just dependent on whether that new can replace the old to the but like you look at Marcus Smith, like amazing player, and I don't think him and Farrell together work particularly well, which could be a good thing that Eddie's gone. I'm pretty sure whoever comes in isn't gonna drop Owen Farrell either. Which I understand. Oh, he's the captain. Um, he's he's for a man with no arms. He's a world class player. Really? He's 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 a very he's a very good. He just is like I can't really explain it. He's he's very well rounded. He's got a good brain on him. He knows he knows how to organize the back line very well in both attack and defense. And he's yeah, he's he's not he's he's not one to be scared to like get stuck in himself. Whereas you have some tens that basically, which is a good thing because they it helps them always organize the line and always have the ball in hand and make the best decisions. Mm-hmm. You have some tens that just would not say boo to a ghost like. Boo to a fly, not go. I don't know. But like, <laughs> like for example, George Ford isn't very adept defensively. Owen Farrell is adept defensively when he remembers to use his arms. Right. Okay. Uh, um. I remember watching. I watched the the awesome series. I watched part of the games, part of both games. So I watched um, Scotland versus Argentina. Wow, what a fiery game! Like every five minutes, there's a bit of trouble. Argentine starting scraps, left, right, and center. Um, Montoya, like, absolutely. Yeah, like a couple red cards, maybe. Oh, yeah. definitely a few yellows. Like, there's a lot of cards in that game. Um, Montoya, yeah, yeah. the entertaining game, like captain, absolutely just took the piss. Yeah, and then I was watching it with like some rugby like fanatics, like big fans. Yeah. Um, and then the England game versus New Zealand, where 
apparently we are well, I say apparently, but they they expected us to win. They say like this is very winnable kind of thing. Perhaps or like for what for the squad England have, like they should win this game against because this isn't the New Zealand of old kind of thing. If it was their point. Um but it got off a to a really shaky start, didn't it? And then they end up obviously drawing that game. So is that why he got sat off the back of like those is it the performances? Well, was it actual style? The RFU's line is that it was a disappointing automation series. Um, apparently, a lot of it, well, apparently some of it is attached to the booing that was heard at the end of that game when Marcus Smith decided to kick it out instead of going for the win when New Zealand are down to 14 men and we've just, we've got all this momentum. We've like just scored 25 points in about 15 minutes. Like, we could win this game. Why don't we go for it? Um, either like it was an angering moment as an England fan because you were so into it. You're like, oh, let's let's go for the win. But same time, was a bad position. Like we were in the middle, like straight in the centre of our twenty-two. Like it would have taken a lot of time and a lot of safe hands for us to get that ball all the way down the other end. Even if the even if New Zealand's discipline wasn't the best at that point and they were down a man. And the point was they didn't want to risk losing the match. But apparently the RFU was shocked by this booing because it's never happened before. So that was one of the reasons they cited as sacking Eddie Jones, which is ludicrous because Marcus Smith kiss, kicking the ball out has fuck all to do with Eddie Jones um, so I'm going to take that with a bit of a pinch of salt I think it's just we haven't been playing well or as well as we could mm. but the journalist's line is that Eddie Jones has alienated players, coaches and RFU staff with an abusive style of management I was about to ask about that I was about to say maybe there's a bit of conflict between him and the and the hierarchy, because that tends to be why managers or coaches are dismissed. Obviously performances, but when when the hierarchy and the coach don't align with the vision and the expectations of the current squad, I think that's when. I think that's when problems actually start coming. I think when they they're like tunnel vision and see the same kind of thing, and maybe the hierarchy are influencing the coach and like trying to influence coaching and the selection of players a bit too much kind of thing. I think that's where you see problems. Like, so I hate to, I keep bringing back to football. Like we saw in the Arsenal documentary, they let the coaches do the coaching, and then hierarchy do this do their thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And obviously in football, signing players. So obviously coach needs to be involved in that, but kind of know your place and know your roles kind of thing. So I think maybe there's likelihood, maybe a mix up in that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it also has to be because I, I would like, like to say Eddie Jones is an absolute genius when it, especially when it comes to world cup time, like 
yeah. he uses he uses the four or the three and a half years between each World Cup to experiment as much as he can, get try out as like he he's not as he doesn't promote as many people as I would prefer. Like, and he's quite stubborn. For example, Danny Kerr last season was the best scrum half in the Premiership. Hasn't played a minute for Eddie Jones for years because he asked, like, he basically uh, said to Eddie Jones, "Why are we playing this like boring kicking game against Japan when, like, we don't need to? Like, we could just easily beat them without playing this territorial kicking tennis." And Eddie Jones took exception to that, and Danny Kerr wasn't seen again until this summer, where he played a few games um, in the summer internationals. He played like, but his there were three, I think, three summer internationals in his his total match time reached eighty minutes out of two hundred and forty. So it's not like he was massively relied upon, and mm. and then he got dropped again, and so I think Eddie's he's always been stubborn, and that's fine because he's he is still a genius. Like he takes the three and a half years, get his. Not okay. New Zealand have a rotating belt of players. They will try absolutely everyone who qualifies to play for New Zealand to see if they're good enough. England, Eddie loves his favourites. He like he will take in like three or four new players each series, or and then like rotate one of them out every match to for a new person. But he sticks with his group and uh, a bit like Southgate in a way. But, yeah. Um. But he, he he gets to know what works and doesn't work for his squad. He he uses the whole time to just play different styles, different methods, different formations in attack and defense, and work out how it will impact their team and if they can make it work against different opposition. Okay. We don't have anyone now who's got three years of experience with this England team. And knows what works in attack and defense. Um, but I would like to say this isn't the first time the RFU have made a big oversight. This man called Sean Edwards is a perfect example. He is currently France's um, defense coach. He has made them top two. Like you could argue they're the best. They're along with South Africa, like top two defenses in the world. Like, say so he's he was approaching the end of his French contract, right? Mm. Um, the RFU CEO spoke to him last year, and everyone in the world of rugby who is English was saying, including my mother, who's not in the English world of rugby, but somehow cared enough about this subject to say this that we should make an approach for him because he's English, he's one of our own. Like he, he would happily come to England to make the English team better. Like He's probably done as m- pretty much all he can do in France in terms of making them better. It's just about now keeping them at that level. Yeah. Uh, he never received an offer from us. He waited 12 months since that time that he took a little walk with the RFU CEO and he's now signed a contract with France till 2027. And That's his reasons are fair enough like he said, cost of living crisis does exist. I don't know where my next, if I don't know where my next paycheck's coming from, 
I'm not going to be sleeping well. Like I, which is a bit of a nod to the how new professionalism is in rugby. Like if he was, in, uh, I was about to say, if he was a football, if he was a football coach, he wouldn't have to worry about that paycheck for a, a couple of years. Like he would have enough money stacked up somewhere to like take time out, but he doesn't. Mm. Um. So we as uh, well, them as a governing body of English rugby have not only sacked the manager who knows the squad amazingly well, has been the coach for like so long now and knows what works and what doesn't with them and is ramping up. Like this Six Nations will be the time that he actually would have proven how well the team can play. And he's not got there because he's no longer here. And not only that, but they've missed the chance to hire that signers man who is who is like the creator of the second best defense in the world to help who's literally helped transform France into the champions elect for a World Cup that is in their own country. Like it's shambolic. I just don't think, no matter how, I don't know, no matter how severe the situation is, I think so close to a tournament, I think it's, you just shouldn't, you no. should kind of just stick as opposed to twist. And then after the tournament, you review. I think that's kind of like what England have done, like which is with the football. I think that's fair. Um I obviously don't, we obviously don't read Southgate, but like it would have been said, he says, sack him. Or, yeah. Like, dismiss him. No, so yeah. close. I like, just gave him this tournament. He's, he knows the players kind of thing. He's got his set in, his um, ideal set in. Give it one tournament and then after that, you review things and make a dis- decision off that. I would argue it's akin to Jose Mourinho getting sacked by Tottenham. That was really odd, right before final. I think a lot of people look after like their own, like you look after your mate kind of thing. So Eddie might feel um, a sense of betrayal, perhaps. I don't know. Maybe you expected them to trust him a bit more and give him that one last tournament, but yeah, it's a shame. Is he is he lined up to go anywhere else or is it? Not that I've seen right now. Yeah. But do you reckon I saw Warren Gatland's back at Wales as well? Yeah. I I don't What's have that? much to add about that, to be honest. Like no. I think Pivak or Gatland would kind of do the same job, but again, it's not good timing. No, it's not. Yeah. But who who are the favourites? So France are the favourites France, um South you, Africa again. South Africa up there. Um New Zealand are coming strong again. Like, I, I, with all due respect to your friends, I'm sure they're very knowledgeable about rugby. But if they looked at like France's, no, if they looked at like All Blacks games just before they played us, as opposed to last year and the pre, like the previous twelve months, they're coming back strong again. So, okay. their their World Cup preparation is going well, unlike ours. I think I think we kind of covered Eddie Jones's sacking quite well, and rugby as a whole. Yeah, it's so as I say, France, 
favourites, South Africa and New Zealand. Not far behind, I would say. Wales just aren't that good at the moment, and they're not going to be that prepared for it. Same with England. Scotland yeah. and Ireland are doing all right. Italy, as I say. Is that Danny Sex? Is it Sexton? This is still about Johnny Sexton. Johnny Sexpest. Um, yeah, he's retiring after this World Cup. Fucking hell, mate. He's been like, he's been about for a while. Yeah, I don't even know if he'll play because, <laughs> like, he's 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 obviously still got it, but he's slowly gonna lose it. Just like just like um, Alan Wynne Jones, he was old. Like he was really he's, old. He's, he's winding down though. Like his time. He's still playing. about. Is he still playing? Yeah, he does. Awesome. His time. His time on the pitch for Wales is decreasing. But like, it's nice to see that he's still there. Yeah. What happened to the Villapola brothers? I think Mako, if I'm honest, is just not the guy for the job anymore. Um, and Billy. Wow. Billy's like our only ball carrier that we rely on. Yeah. We're, if we kick the ball and Billy's in the deep in the field, it gets past to Billy and he'll just track someone. And that's like, Eddie Jones has said it himself, not that it matters anymore, but he said, we need to try and find other players to use as ball carriers that aren't just Vunipola, like Billy Vunipola. Um, mm. And now Eddie can't do that because Eddie is gone. But what about Itoji? What's he saying? Some discipline issues, but really, so just giving away penalties sometimes. Like it comes and goes with him, but he's always like one of the best. Like him and Etzebeth are my two favorite locks. They're absolute monsters at what they do and very smart. Um, just in, insane perception of the game. But sometimes, I feel like sometimes Toje just does feel a little bit sometimes disinterested recently. Like, I don't know if he's one of the players that had a problem with Eddie Jones, but um, I saw him play for Saracens like two months ago. Absolute monster. He just and like we were right by the pitch because it was you could stand, so we were standing against the barriers of the pitch. And yeah, like he would like win turnover ball and get a penalty for like because they were holding on in the ruck by the player who got tackled, and he would just go like literally stretch his arms out at like that, put his arm and like roar like it's insane. Like he's he's so into it and so passionate. I love that. Absolute monster. I love that. But enough about a sport which causes neuroscientists to do a lot of work. And on to talk about a neuroscientist who I have spoken about on this yeah. before, Andrew Huberman. Um, so he's got... A well, good. We'll, we'll see what you know. Actually, okay. what do you know? Very little, just that he's a neuroscientist and like it's annoying because you just said all the facts I know about him. 
and he owns a podcast and I don't browse the website to be fair mm-hmm. but other than that very little to give you I can't lie but are you you're a fan of him though massive fan of him yeah because I think I saw him yeah I saw I don't know something told me I don't know I can't remember but hit me well the um, reason I'm a fan of him is I'm learning he, today he offers education on important scientific topics that impact daily life both through his website and his podcast which are both called the Huberman Lab um his podcast is regularly ranked number one in science education and health and fitness because he's just that good um I really recommend if you are anyway like interested in how your brain and your body work and the science behind it like his channel is something worth watching it it's also quite motivational like most of his videos are about things that you can do that you can take into your life to like make better informed decisions about how your brain works and responds to different things how it affects your body so that's for me that's like why it's why it's so good and important and he just believes in giving people a free education of this as much as he can um our producer from last episode is a biologist herself so when i started spouting a load of like huberman lab in like knowledge that i found um on the more opinion-based stuff from him like when he makes claims that aren't it's very rare that he does this but when he'll when he'll suggest there is a link instead of saying there is one because there's not enough research behind it to know she questioned him which is what made me research him because like she she basically said but this is all from one source so you can't ever be too sure about yeah most of his stuff is heavily cited he's really well um read and educated person he's got is he respected in the field oh massively um he's got a bachelor's master's and phd from the university of california he was awarded the logan award in 2017 which is given to the scientist that makes the most um significant discoveries in the field of vision um and he is a professor at Stanford University, which is a good university. Oh, good. Just good. Pretty damn great. Yeah. <laughs> in neurobiology, psychiatry, and behavioral sciences. Um in 26. So this is this is about so in 20, this is about all I know about him, other than that. But in 2016, he discovered that visual stimulation can enhance regeneration of damaged retinal neutrons, which has led to, which has helped lead people to partially recovering from blindness, especially when like paired with forms of gene therapy. But basically, this man has helped cure blind people, which is partially, but that's pretty cool. And in 2017, He created a VR platform to try and understand the pathological and anxiety, pathological, to understand pathological fear and anxiety and the neural mechanisms that cause them. 
which is quite cool to me because I'm terrified of heights. Um, and as a result of part of this, he published an article with another neuroscientist called, I think Edward Chang was his name. Um, and they discovered that in fact, mammals have two brain circuits. So, well, for example, we have a, a brain circuit which promotes confrontational reaction to visual threats. Like, you know, kind of the action that's counted as like being brave or courageous right. in a situation that's quite scary. And then one that promotes fear and paralysis, which is basically fight or flight. Like mm. you're confront confronting it by fighting it or scared of it. So you want to flee. And so his research has led to the discovery that these two responses that are automatic in all humans are basically due to two different brain circuits. And I'm sure yeah. coming research from that as to how to affect them and look after them and make maybe do one over the other. Like if, if I could control them somehow, for example, or understand how they work, I might be able to get over my fear of heights. Because I'd be able to confront it, yeah. being like, "I don't want to do this." You also, I'm seeing he's just coined the phrase. He he was the one that coined the term um, "non-sleep deep rest." He was indeed. Wow, mad. Well, I didn't put right. in. So what that is for people who don't well, know. this is the, exactly. I didn't put this in because I don't know. So that would be helpful. <laughs> yeah. So this is of Google, um, referring to the practices that play that place the brain and body into shallow sleep to accelerate neuroplasticity and help offset mental and physical fatigue. And if people don't know what neuroplasticity is, it's like the um ability of to change the brain. Mm. Like, you know, like rhinoplasty is changing your nose rhino nose plasty like changing it so neuroplasticity is just changing the brain in that in that case for the better like sleeping or like putting your body into rest to be able to take on new information and whatever else that your body has to deal with um mm. he's he's really into the changing He's, really, he's very much into neuroplasticity, basically. Just to conclude on Andrew Huberman, actually, seems like quite a smart man who I would trust to, despite our producer's best attempts, she will not sway me from watching Huberman almost religiously and without any context. Um... um. Yeah, you want so, to know what I was reading? Have you been reading, and have you found more time to read it? Oh yes, yes, I got time today. I got time today, and I did try. And reading while on the toilet was brilliant. I really enjoyed that. Um, you can't really read while you brush your teeth, which is quite hard. You can. Not, I mean, I I did try, and I felt I could, but do, do the one I can't. I, I can't really though. I can't really. 
too much going on. No, um, well, what I've been reading, I've been reading Bad Blood by, mm. do you know it? I want to read it, yeah. Oh, um, so my housemate let me borrow this. Um, Secrets and Lies in a Silicon Valley Startup. Yeah. And it's riveting and compelling. By John Carey, 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 Carey. This is yeah, inverse for you, but um, yeah, I'm. Thing is, this is an annoying thing because I really enjoy it, but I don't get that much time to read it. But so far, so good. Um, it's a secret. Pardon? Can you tell us a secret? Can I tell you a secret? Um, it's about a startup called the. Ra- Theranos, right? Silicon Valley startup, um, by a woman called Elizabeth, Elizabeth something. But anyway, it's basically how. Shall I ruin it? Oh, don't. If there's any spoil, don't spoil it. Okay, I won't spoil it, but I'd really recommend it. Um, it's quite an easy read. It's quite. Yeah, it's an easy read. It talks about white collar crime, so it's interesting. It's not like your everyday like murder or something like that. It's something that's I don't feel is something that obviously definitely happens, but I don't feel like it's explicit to us as we think it is. Um, and this is like white collar crime to such a big scale that it's pretty unimaginable. And in it, it's story slightly of inspiration as well not to commit a crime but just like the startup and navigating and the charm the woman um elizabeth used to obviously gain all these investors and yes that's as much as i'll say about it but bad blood definitely okay i'm gonna give you a little insight basically it's uh, basically i think the the main idea was like there was a patch um where it would extract a bit of blood and from that blood you could basically be diagnosed with whatever disease you may have kind of thing i think started off on um di- diabetes so diabetics you know yeah obviously too much insulin um and then it'll send like i read that it'll send like some message to like your GP or practitioner and then they could just diagnose you and then somehow administer the the um, medicine via the patch as well, which is kind of cool. That is pretty cool. Um, and yeah, so that's the, that's the crux of it. That's the whole bad blood kind of thing. And then, yeah, I'd really recommend. I may let you borrow it when I finished. Is when it I do yours to give to me? Um, no, but I think I'm gonna buy it off Ted when uh, doing a book swap. Cool. A nice book swap. Shout out Ted. Nice. Okay, well I look forward to that then. Um I, yeah. I always have something to Oh make. sorry, Elizabeth Holmes. And she says on Elizabeth Holmes. Oh, she got um She's currently um on trial. I thought she got no, I thought she's she's been sentenced. Oh uh, yeah, I maybe. She, uh, um, last time I researched, I searched her up. She was on trial, 
So this was a bit about two weeks ago. Maybe she's been sent. Yeah, no, she got. I'm pretty sure it was last week. Oh shit! She got how long? I don't know, but her former executive just got 13 years in prison. Shit. Damn. This woman is a workaholic and not in the not in a healthy way, workaholic. Hmm. Not in a healthy. It's like very unhealthy, very narcissistic, very dangerous. She got 11 years and three months. Hey, damn. Oh, there you go. Oh. Um, yeah, I recommend this book. It's Business Book of the Year Award 2018. Ooh. So, you know, it's... And as you can see, the case is only just ending now. And I think she started in, like, 2006 or something. She, she dropped got... out of Stanford, actually. Yeah. Um, and made a startup in because Stanford's um, where it's located is very close to Silicon Valley, so California. So it's very it's kind of a natural progression of the big tech companies to grab the best talent of, out of Stanford or Stanford yeah. graduates just starting uh, tech companies just because it's just natural progression and the connections you make as well. Stanford had this alumni as well, so. You know, it makes sense kind of thing to start. But yeah. Um cool. Well, I look forward very much to reading it. And yeah. I always have one gripe when we do podcasts, and I've not really had a complaint today. So I'm just gonna have to say quickly how stupid London jostling is on the tube or off a train. Like <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm one of those people that usually walks around people and gets to the barriers or whatever as quick as possible. But I yeah. realise it's completely pointless because these slow people that you walk around end up walking past you on the escalator when you're in this big, long queue on the... Like, what is the point of rushing to then stand in the queue, to then rushing to the barriers, which effectively level people out again? Like... You don't gain anything from walking faster than the person next to you at all. It's all pointless. Yeah. Um, I'm not really, I'm not miss, I'm not I'm not particularly missing London. London traffic, walking traffic, so annoying. Um, I'll let you into a little secret. This is an exclusive. I don't do this anymore. I'm very sorry. But when I when I used to walk <laughs> London. Um, if someone's walking really slow in front of me, yeah. I'd give them a little trip. Like I kick their legs out, trip them up. But they wouldn't fall over, just like a little, like just like a little oh kind of oh, thing. You're like, a horrible person. Nah, nah, nah. It's it's minor, nothing major. Like just just a minor little let them know you're there kind of thing. And I'd be like, oh sorry. And then I walk past like scoop and then I walk past. But right, well, I think that's a good place to end it. No, 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 no. Not like that, honestly. It's not as bad as it sounds. Like, this trip will come naturally as I'm walking quickly. As I'm walking quickly. I never did it intentionally at first, and then it started getting a bit too... It started happening a bit too often. I was like, maybe this is, maybe this is just very subconscious. 
I do walk quite quick, quickly as well. So it wasn't, it was never malicious. And if, if, if you ever felt a trip in London, it could have been me. And I'm really sorry. <laughs> I'm really, really sorry. Well, I think that's a good place to end. Off Young is sorry for being a horrible person. I yeah. am finding out new things about him every week. Um, it's a little, it's a little, you know, like Ben White does. <laughs> no, joking. Um, who no. apparently, if you saw, I saw you liked it. Fell out. Saka said. Saka said in some interviews for family reasons, but I don't know. And it did say personal issues, and so that could be either way. But also, yeah. it was Who's reporting star. it as well. Exactly. So I take it with a pinch. Fell out with Steve Holland. Like what? Supposedly, allegedly, I don't know. Oh well. Um. Thank you for and joining me today. Can't believe he doesn't like football. Classic Ben White, mate. Just doesn't like football. <laughs> thank you for joining me today I've really enjoyed this thank you Same. Me. if you see me around in London feel free to trip me up you know first time I've got to speak about rugby as well which uh, speak speak more my child I love it but... yeah uh, yeah I don't mind it we'll get you there um, have a good Seems week very cliquey, though yeah, no, it is. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I get that. Puppy's cliquey. Light Game, boxing. Game's growing, though. It'll get there. It'll get there. Light boxing is well. very cliquey. But yeah, of course. Um, love and affection. Love and affection. Thanks. Good week. Again. Yeah, you too, Slime. Bye. Bye.